Hello and welcome to this week's Thursday Top 5. I'm Paige. I'm Anna. We're so excited to bring this week's news to you. Do you have any updates you want to share? No, not really. This week has just been like super busy. Um, I went to work in person for the first time, which was crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. I literally have no updates (laughs) on my part. (laughs) So I guess we can just get into it. We have some art related updates. So no fear. For So recently we've been talking a lot about art thefts and we are really especially last week, questioning the impact that COVID had on all of these crimes. So our update for the week comes from the art newspaper where it was reported that, quote, the number of art thefts in Italy plummets partially thanks to drones. So according to the annual report published by the Carabinari, which is Italy's police force dedicated to recovering stolen art, Fewer art and cultural heritage works were stolen in Italy in 2020 compared to the previous year, so 2019. Mm, interesting. But the drop was partly caused by the pandemic, which we like talked about last week. It was like our speculation. Um, and it also forced dealers in stolen art online to like not be able to deal as much um, just because things got harder and like there was more high-tech security and surveillance technology putting up. So mm-hmm. I think the trend is also just part of a longer-term downward. like Right, like as it gets easier to track things virtually, online. it's more yeah. difficult to sell things online. Exactly. And everything is online now. Yeah. So to put it in some context, in 2020, there were about 500,000 500, items recovered compared to 900,000 items recovered in 2019 so it's basically been cut in half yeah that's crazy but with markets such as antique shops auction houses and auction houses closed the italian police called carabinieri ramped up online searches and stolen work turned up in digital auction catalogs as well as on websites and facebook pages which is how they were able to recover like a lot of things yeah and the force recovered around 12,000 items in online searches in 2020, which is an increase from around 8,000 items in 2019. So although the overall amount of items has decreased, the number of online items recovered has increased. Yes. And searches via the Carabinieri's electronic catalog of 1.3 million stolen goods, which is the oldest and largest database of like such a kind in the world will be enhanced with an automated system that will scour the internet for matching works. What I love about this story is I feel like you so often hear about artwork selling on like the dark web or like the black market and you're like, how does all this happen? And they really are trying to put a stop to it as more things become automated. That's so true. But I think it's so exciting and like so positive. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a weirdly positive article. Yeah. And then another cute but very short update is that the name for the Venice Biennale was announced. Art News reported that, quote, paying tribute to Leonora Carrington, 2022 Venice Biennale takes the title, quote, The Milk of Dreams. So Cecilia Alemani, the artistic director of the 2022 Venice Biennale, announced yesterday that the main exhibition will be titled The Milk of Dreams after a book by surrealist Leonora Carrington. Some of you might remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how a new museum is going to be opening in Mexico City and Carrington's old home. So her legacy is just everywhere these days. Love that. Our 
first headline of the week comes to us from Artnet News, where it was reported that, quote, Burberry just released an AR app that lets you design your very own virtual sculptures featuring the brand's iconic imagery. So British luxury brand Burberry has launched an augmented reality experience, allowing its clients to design and see their own digital sculptures inspired by the brand's spring-summer 2021 collection, which is titled In Bloom. The collection explores themes such as the cyclical nature of our time on Earth, our team lore, and the evolution of creativity. The program encourages users to create virtual sculptures of Burberry's pocket bag using various like patterns and prints, shapes that have been long loved by customers of the house. And then once built, these sculptures can be placed among users' real-life settings to illustrate how they might look in their homes. It reminds me of when we were like buying furniture for our apartment and they have that feature where you're like see what this chair looks like in your home and I always messed it up and the chair would be like 10 feet by 10 (laughs) feet so it was very difficult to use but hopefully this one is easier and then additionally users can connect to other members of the community and like the wider fashion world by uploading their creations so like everyone becomes their own little digital artist which is cute so cool and then in a statement, the brand said, quote, these experiences seek, seek to enrich our customer journeys online and bring our digital content into the physical surroundings of customers, which is very cool. And this is actually not the brand's first kind of like NFT online VR-esque initiative as they recently launched in celebration of their new Olympia bag, an AR experience that brought a virtual Greek Elphis statue to the iconic Harrods flagship shop in London. And as the summer season progresses, that pop-up will move from England to Macau to New York and then to Hong Kong and Tokyo, where their brand also recently partnered with El Japan Digital to create a virtual version of Burberry's London flagship store in the district of um, Jinsa. And on the heels of what can be considered to be kind of this like global NFT mania, these initiatives are such an innovative way to engage with potential customers around the world and really forge a connection for the brand and build a customer base that's not based on commercial transactions. Mm-hmm. And like so many auctions which have had to move online as a result of the pandemic, the brand must think of ways to um, just like move into the digital space. Yeah. I also think it's super interesting that fashion brands are doing this considering like last week we talked about Gucci selling like their video um at Christie's so it's not just like art world and like artists and things like that like art world professionals it's like everyone that's in the creative industries is trying to get into this like NFT like thing yeah and I think more and more people in all industries are just really thinking about what they can do to increase their digital presence yeah I agree so we look forward to seeing what other initiatives pop up. Mm-hmm. Headline number two comes to us from Art News, where it was reported that, quote, Detroit Institute of Art faces backlash over newly unveiled police mural. So a mural unveiled last week at the police department of Detroit suburb Sterling Heights caused a backlash among artists and social activists frustrated with numerous killings of black persons by the police over the last year. Titled To Serve and Protect and painted three years ago, the mural was produced by artist Nicole McDonald for the Sterling Heights Police Department as part of Diaz Partners in Public Art Program. It features a group of police officers holding hands and bowing their heads before a waving American flag. The Detroit Institute of the Arts, which played a role in the mural's creation, 
posted images of the painting on social media last week. After the backlash came, the museum said that the mural, which is an enlarged vinyl version of the 2018 painting by McDonald, had been created with input of the city's community. And then in a comment, the artist said that the piece was meant to show the police as instruments of peace rather than aggressors and that she had not been involved with the project since 2018 when she initially created the painting upon which the uh, final version is based. And what's so interesting about this and what is causing like a major issue is that the painting of To Serve and Protect originally did not contain an American flag. And the artist went on to share that she feels used by the city and the museum and like they're taking her art and turning it into something else. That it wasn't. Yeah, that's kind of messed and up. And quite literally they added <laughs> yeah. to the work, which right. is crazy. That is crazy. But against the backdrop of protests over racial justice in the city, employees of the DIA began Speaking out about the work culture at the museum, including the museum's digital experience designer who quit last June and accusing the museum of censoring black voices. Um, And there was no investigation of or there was an investigation, but no misconducts were found. And I actually remember, I think like I'm not 100 percent sure, but I am pretty sure in July of last year, the director of the museum got fired. Yes, I think so. They've had like a A lot of controversy. Yeah. And then culminating in this. Mm -hmm. And I just, I really, not to bring it up again, but I was so shocked to hear about the lack of involvement by the artist. Yeah. Because when you think about a mural going up, even if the artist, him or herself, is not recreating it as a mural, because Mm -hmm. that's like a different skill set, you still think there would be some level of like approval. I agree. But also I think even like crazier than that is the fact that a lot of things have happened since 2018 mm-hmm. and like in terms of like it's racial justice world. exactly so like it's so insensitive to just like go like move on and like st- like still use something that was created yeah in like a different time totally and then I also think it brings up just like a much larger issue of the line between like politics and museums when mm-hmm. these museums are being government funded and doing these initiatives like how do they remain neutral with that's the artists? true and it's also interesting to hear so if there has been backlash but the museum is saying that the that they asked the community about this Mm -hmm. and that the community was like all for it did they ask the whole community or did they ask like a few members of the community that's such a great point because it's obvious different members of the community might feel differently about it exactly than the approval yeah we'll see where this story goes but it's not looking like it's going in a good direction it's not looking good (laughs) The third headline of the day comes to us from the art newspaper, where it was reported that, quote, the Met will return three African art objects to Nigeria. Joining recent moves by European museums to return African art treasures to Nigeria, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York announced today that it is sending three objects back to the country. I feel really, like, good about this because we reported on, like, the very early on stories. Yeah, and it's also because, like, we took the class about um, Arts of Africa and, like, restitution. And, like, we went to the Met and, like, did the whole tour. And We're in it for the long haul. Yes. So two of the works, a pair of 16th century Benin court brass plaques of a warrior chief and junior court official were donated to the museum in 1991 by the modern art dealer Klaus Pearls and his wife Dolly 
while the third, a 14th century Ife head, was recently offered to the museum for purchase by a different collector. The museum decided to return the works after conducting research in collaboration with the British Museum with input from the Nigerian National Commission for Museums and Monuments, known as the NCMM. Yes. That's and a hard acronym because you can't say it. Like you can't sound it out. Yeah. Like you have to say each letter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the two planks have been part of a 153-piece collection of African royal treasures given to the Museum by the Pearls 30 years ago, and that included bronze figures, carved elephant ivory, masks, jewelry, and musical instruments. According to the museum, the plaques were taken from the Benin Royal Palace in 1897 by British military forces and then entered the British Museum's collection. And then around 1950 and 1951, the London Institution transferred them with 24 other items to the National Museum in Lagos. And then the works were somehow removed from that museum at an unknown date and under unclear circumstances, according to the Met. And they were sold on the international art market where they were acquired by the Pearls. Both plagues have now been the, ex- the accessioned. That's crazy. Yeah. The Met says it will hold on to the works until the NCMM's director general can travel to New York to retrieve them. So they're holding them for safekeeping. It's like a crazy story because mm-hmm. like these people like bought these things and like just as part of their personal collection. But I wonder if when they bought them, they knew that they had been like taken from the museum in Lagos. Right. Like, or like what? Or like who? who like where do they, th- they think they were coming from? And then like. Why do they specifically try to donate them to the Met? Right. I don't know. I have so many questions and like they will always be unanswered because no one's going to admit to stealing something. Right. But it's like, did they even look into it or yeah. were they told something else? Yeah. And like part of the issue with things like this is that they're not considered art. They're considered just artifacts. Mm-hmm. So they're viewed as less valuable things and like right. less valuable objects. So people don't look as hard into their provenance or like... Yeah. Because there are so many of them. And I also think there's so much news around like Nazi stolen art. And you always think of paintings when you think of that. So when purchasing just like an object to put on your shelf in your home, you don't give like the same credence to it. No, exactly. Like when people say like restitution, like I think like what comes to mind is just like Nazi looted art. But like there there are so many other kinds of restitution that need to happen that are like not talked about. And in some ways, even more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Moving on, our fourth headline today comes to us from the New York Times, where it was reported that, quote, Judd Architecture Office in Marfa severely damaged in fire. The artist Donald Judd's two-story office in Texas was in the final stages of a renovation that was set to finish July 3rd. The fire department was called to the building at around 12 30 a.m this past friday and then the fire blazed for more than 12 hours which is crazy um before a team of about a dozen volunteer firefighters finally got it until under control around 1 30 p.m that day no injuries were reported and no artworks or objects were damaged the cause remains unknown the building had a state-of-the-art sprinkler system that was a week away from being hooked up so That's tragic. It's terrible timing. The foundation, which has offices in both Manhattan and Marfa, said in a statement that it would rebuild however long it takes. And then Flavin Judd, who is the artist's son and the artistic director for the foundation, said it is a setback, not a defeat. While it will take twice as much effort, we will restore it and open it. 
which is encouraging, just really sad. That's so encouraging. And I love the Judd Foundation here in New York. So yes. to think that they almost had something like that. Yeah. Sad. While the fire destroyed much of the interior of the building, the plan is to stabilize the remaining structure and see what can be salvaged, according to Flavin Judd. Yeah, and the architecture office closed in 2018 for renovations in a first phase of the foundation's restoration plan, which will ulti ultimately restore six structures on the Marfa campus in three different phases. The first phase, which also includes part of the camp compound known as the block, cost about $2 million. The first floor of the office is to be open to the public, so there will be some degree of public space. Yes, hopefully this didn't set them back too much and they'll still be able to like open semi yeah. on time and hopefully by but the it's time so we sad. get there yeah some of it will be open yeah hopefully i i wonder how long uh the entire renovation is gonna take if it started in 2018 and like uh, like there are six structures yeah. and i, I wonder know. if it was delayed because of covid or not i mean for sure especially because marfa was like so marfa was hit really hard yeah um, but I guess we can move on to our last story. Yes, our fifth and final story comes to us from Art News, where it was reported that, quote, pigeons threaten priceless set of Raphael tapestries on display in Madrid. So a priceless set of Raphael tapestries is in peril after pigeons and their droppings made an appearance at the Spanish exhibition. So nine tapestries currently on display in the main gallery of Madrid's Royal Palace have survived the last 500 years in near pristine condition, but gallery staff are now scrambling to keep the winged uh, pass from inflicting damage, which is so crazy. This is insane. Yes. The tapestries titled Acts of the Apostles were commissioned by Pope Leo X in 1515 as decoration for the Sistine Chapel. After Raphael completed the sketches, which detail scenes from the lives of St. Peter and Paul, they were sent to a workshop in Brussels, which translated the designs into life-size hangings spun from gold and silver silk and wool threads. Something that's so interesting about this is like, yes, he made the designs, but he didn't actually make the tapestries. And mm -hmm. it's like kind of crazy how he gets all the credit. It's like the Raphael tapestries. And it's like, no, Raphael did not, like he gets 100% he of the credit and did like, five percent of the work yeah like he never touched these topics like he wasn't like no and isn't it crazy that loom, things like, like this are worth so much it's yeah. for all like renaissance paintings even they're worth so so much sometimes and you don't even know if the artist himself was able to work on the canvas no i think for the paintings you know there's so you many know, studies but there's always like going sometimes it's iffy yeah, but I think, you know? like, the ones that are iffy, it says, like, by School of Raphael. Yeah, like, but it that's doesn't just say, so crazy. Like, it is crazy, but, like, this, like, he actually didn't touch. No, first, it's confirmed. Yeah, but anyways, Acts of the Apostles are the artist's only known tapestry designs and the last major project he completed before his death in 1520. And impressed with the work, European monarchs, including Spain's Philip II, commissioned replicas of the tapestries to adorn their own courts. The institution said that two ultrasonic devices were now in place to deter the pigeons from entering the space where the tapestries are displayed. And the tapestries are one of two bearing designs by Raphael in the palace's collection and are considered to be the best preserved tapestries made of the original sketches. So these were the better set and now they might be the worst set. But it's crazy because like how are they so good for like 500 years and now they're like being attacked? 
It's like, so what, crazy. What changed? I wonder <laughs> if the ultrasonic devices are going to work like well enough. Yeah, I, I like there's pro- many questions. We will need to like do an update on the story. I kind of want to see the damage. Like I want to see. Oh, I think there were some pictures. I need to go look. Yes. Everyone should go look. It will be in the, episode the bio notes. description. I can't imagine just like letting pigeons like ruin a work of art that's been alive for 500 years. And like I just. It's crazy that it lasted this long and then this is what like kills it. Okay, so a little update. There are actually no pictures of the damage, but you should still click on the link because the tapestries are beautiful and it's like worth taking a look. But once again, he See didn't before actually they're ruined. make them. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, before we go, we of course have some emerging news, which this week is a little bit more fashion news. As reported by Artnet News, quote, in its LA and Paris store, Saint Laurent debuts a new collection inspired by the art world favorite Memphis Group. So in honor of the 40th anniversary of the founding of the Memphis Group, the Paris-based brand has released a capsule collection of clothes, accessories, and homeware, which includes glasses, ceramics, and books that celebrate all things Memphis. So the Memphis Milano movement is known for its use of bright colors and all things misshapen and soft, which is the exact opposite of YSL signature, more like moody and darker um, aesthetic. And though the Memphis group worked together for only a short time, it's typically like from 1980 to 1987, its influence was strong. And if you look through the photos in the article, the aesthetics really come through as the group style is like super unique and very recognizable. And like Anna just said, like is so different from this like streamlined, like very black and white aesthetic that YSL is known for. Yeah, definitely. And to celebrate the debut by hosting an exhibition of iconic Memphis works at the Saint Laurent Rivdrot shops in Paris and in LA, featuring Masanori, Zumera, Ring Bed, Etort, Sostas, Carlton, Room Divider, and Rivera Chairs by Michelle Deluki. This show will be on view through June 23rd in both stores, each of which will be filled with homages to Sonas, which is perhaps the most intimate Memphis designer and whose works has experienced a mini boom in the design world in recent years. So very hot right now. I'm actually going to LA soon. So I will end this very close to my house. I'll mm-hmm. definitely go check it out and let everyone know. That's exciting. And I don't have like an article for this, but this just reminded me like the LA thing that Hauser and Worth just announced that they're opening a second location yes. in LA. It's in a vi- it's the space that they are overtaking used to be a vintage car shop yes which my dad and my brother love so shout out <laughs> to them because I know exactly where it is because they would always point it out that's so funny but yeah I think that's it from us we hope everyone has a great rest of the week slash weekend and if you haven't already please remember to follow us on instagram at curated chatter yes thank you bye